God is good, amen? How many of you are thankful that God moved in this place for a moment? Now, I have grown up in this. I have been around it. I have been in many, many, many different services. I have, in my short lifetime, I have, I have seen God do miraculous, powerful things. And even, even in these settings, I've been in church services where God moves and works and, and there's a touch of His Spirit and then preaching goes forth and everybody just kind of moves on to the next thing. But the same power that just resonated in this room for the last several moments is still at work. And sometimes, like we see in the Bible, sometimes God can heal and work by his word going forth. The centurion said, looked at him, and the soldier looked at Jesus and said, if you'll just speak the word, she'll be healed. And the reality is that he knew, that soldier knew, God's touch is just as powerful as his word. And his word can do something in a moment, can fix a situation, can Correct something in just a moment. That there's power in his word. And we believe that today. There's a very, there's a very powerful scripture. It's John chapter number 5, verse number 39. It's a word like this that could have the possibility to open up the minds for people. It says this in John 5 and 39. Search the scriptures. This is Jesus talking. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Jesus was saying this verse of scripture to a group of Jews that stood around. And people that knew the scripture. That knew the stories. That knew the things that had been spoken by the prophets. And the things spoken by Moses. These were people that knew. So when Jesus confronts them and he tells them, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which actually testify of me. Let me tell you what this scripture, what this verse means and what Jesus was saying. He looked at all of those Jews that day, all of those people that knew the scriptures, and he said, you need to go back And you need to reread those stories for a moment. You need to search those scriptures again. You need to look through that again. Because if you'll do it with sincerity and you'll do it with an honest heart and you'll approach this the right way, what you will see in those stories, what you'll see in those analogies, what you'll see in those proverbs and those psalms and those moments, what you will see is all of them point to me. All of them point to me. All of them point to the Messiah, and I am the Messiah. He was telling them that if you'll go back and you'll read that story about Noah, you'll see that the way to salvation is found in me. If you'll go back and you'll look at the promise that Abraham got, you'll know that promise actually talks about me. You'll find actually for yourself, if you go back and read about the deliverance of Moses, you'll find that that story, it actually talks about the deliverance that I can bring. And what you'll see, what you'll know, what will happen for you is you'll see that the God, the Lord God of the Old Testament is actually the Jesus of the New Testament. That all of it dwells in Him. The fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in Him. All of that points to Jesus. 
All of it lays out. All of it directs us to him. If you'll search the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. For they are they which testify of me. Every story, every analogy, it points us to Jesus. Now, none of these stories give us a greater example than the book of Job, the story of the patriarch of the Old Testament. Job, the lessons, the life, the person. You've heard it preached here. You've probably heard things said about Job. You've probably heard analogies and lessons, and you've heard points and things spoken about the patriarch Job. He is one of the greatest examples of Jesus Christ that we have outside of the man Jesus Christ. A man who was upright and righteous and did not sin or charge God foolishly and yet suffered greatly. But in the end was given back blessing and purpose and honor and glory. Just like we have the story of Job that teaches us about Job. Well, the story of Job teaches us about Jesus Christ. A man upright, a man perfect, a man sinless in his life. He was, he, was, he was crucified and suffered for our sake and yet rose again. There's, there's probably not a better example or story that we have in the scripture that Job parallels to Jesus. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. You read this story and you see a parallel. You see that he is Job, a righteous, upright man. Here, in fact, is what the book of Job, chapter number one, says. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born unto him, and his possession were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. Now, there's a debate right now in the sports world about the goat. Anybody heard that? The greatest of all time. G-O-A-T, that's what they say. For anybody, that's an education for you right now in culture. People use that. People use it all the time. Now, it's one thing if I were to say that man is righteous. It's one thing that if I looked at Brother Sam and said that guy is an upright guy. It's one thing that if I looked at Pastor Jimmy and I said, man, that, that man is a righteous man. It's one thing that if I say that, it's another thing when God says that about somebody. Let me tell you what I think made Job so righteous and what made Job stand out so much. Let me tell you what I think it is. One, he was a man, the Bible says, that was blameless and upright and feared God and shunned evil. It's one thing, ladies and gentlemen, in this modern day to fear God, but it is another thing to push away and depart yourself from evil. It's not just enough to say, well, I'm just a God-fearing person. There has to be a change that comes with that God-fearing person. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But you got to keep reading the rest of the verse. 
and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't want to just walk around guilt-free from the sin that he's forgiven me. I want to walk around in the cleansing that he offers from all the unrighteousness of the world and all the unrighteousness of sin. I want to live free from the sin and also upright and shunning the evil. Job not only was a man wealthy and blessed, greatest of all men of the East, he's not only a man who was was given over to keep evil away, but he kept evil away from his family. Here's what it says, Job 1, 4, and 5, And his sons went and feasted their houses every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And so it was, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Folks, he's got ten kids. I've got three. And they never get called by their right name. You think I'm joking? And you know what? I used to hate that when I was a kid. My mom's here. Tread lightly. She used to say, she looked at me and she'd say, Chris. And I said, that ain't my name, woman. <laughs> Listen, I didn't say that. That was dramatic effect. Okay? I may look dumb, but I'm not that dumb. And I can't, I can't get it right, but I, that, that now that, that frustration has now settled on me. Listen, kids, don't get frustrated about stuff when you're young. It'll come back around on you. I'm preaching to somebody right now. Some parents feel some help. According to the number of them all, for Job said, this is what he did. This is how he thought. This is the type of man that he was. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job he did this continually. Just by the off chance that my kids did something wrong, I am going to come and bring a sacrifice on their behalf. Just by chance that they've made a mistake or they've done something wrong. I don't fully know and I'm not pretending to be God. But just by chance they've done this. I'm going to come and present a sacrifice for them. Let me tell you something. And this wasn't even my notes. Is they're not a better example of Jesus Christ than that he would die while we were yet sinners. That he would offer up a sacrifice on our behalf and come and bring and present himself and say, just by chance if they fall, just by chance if they sin, I will offer a sacrifice on their behalf, on my sons and my daughters. But let me also say this. It's okay, parents, for you to stand in the gap for your kids. They may or may not be serving the Lord. They may or may not be doing everything right. 
but you can take example from the man Job that said, just by chance if my kids fall, just by chance if my kids mess up, they're going to have a daddy and a mama. They're going to have a grandparent that will stand in the gap and say, no, I'm going to offer something on their behalf. If they never offer you a sacrifice, I'm going to offer a sacrifice on their behalf. I'm going to stand in the gap for my kids. Come on, don't you be embarrassed in this culture to stand in the gap for your children. Don't you be embarrassed to tell somebody no because you're trying to preserve something in your child. Don't you take back and say, we'll let culture handle it. No, sir. No, ma'am. I will stand in the gap for my kids just by chance. So the Bible says... Job is a righteous, upright man. And the sons of God came and visited God one day. They walk all before him. And the Bible says Satan, the accuser, comes, stands before the presence of God. And, and God looks at him and says, well, where did you come from? And, and Satan says, well, I've been walking to and fro across the earth. I've been traveling across the earth looking. You don't think the enemy walks about like a roaring lion? Looking for whom he may devour. Listen, I know that there's a joke about the boogeyman and someone's out to get you. Let me, let me tell you something. There is something out to get us. There is an opposite force trying to be at work in every area, walking about, searching and looking for what it may devour. And this man, excuse me, Job is, 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 is considered before God. God says... In this passage, well, have you considered my servant Job? Have you, you've been walking around looking for somebody. Why don't you consider Job? And Satan looks at the Lord and he says, oh, I would, but you have a hedge up about him. I would do that. You don't think I've considered Job? Oh, I would do something about Job if I, if I could. I, I would extend my hand. I would do something against him. But, but Lord... You have a hedge put up about that man. You know what? Some of you have, some of us, we got a hedge put up about us. You need to stop walking in a misunderstanding about God. Some of y'all, some of us, most of us, all of us, I would say, we've got God put up something to protect us. Listen, if you don't have anything to thank God for, you should thank him for the things he kept you from. You should thank him for the things he didn't allow to happen. I'm thankful for the things that it didn't come, that didn't happen. Because somehow, someway, God put this hedge of protection up about my life. He guarded and shielded more things than I'll ever know. And only eternity will tell me the things he kept me from. So I want to be careful to say thank you for what I've been protected from. So he says, you can do it. You can touch him. I'll remove the hedge. I'll lift it up. And the Bible says that as the story goes, he removes the hedge and tragedy strikes Job. And if you read, if you read the story and you look up the locations and you look up the things from the north, the Chaldeans captured the camels. You look up from the south, the Sabaeans came and from the east, the great winds from the desert took down the house with his kids. And from the west, the fire from the Mediterranean, from the storms, it 
it, it moved in. And if you look, in just a matter of moments, one after another, after another, after another, his livestock, his wealth, his home, his resources, his children were all taken in a moment of tragedy. Tragedy literally struck him from all sides. There wasn't a side of him that didn't get touched. And the Bible says that he, in this, he, he did not charge God foolishly. The Bible actually says, and this is a powerful thing, the Bible actually says Job arose in verse number 20, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down on the ground, and worshipped. And said, naked I came from my mother's room, and naked I will return thither. And the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. But whether I live in a giving season, or if I live in a taking season, whether I am in a place where I am given things, or things are taken out of my hand, blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, I will bless, this was before David wrote it, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will not bless him when I am given things and not bless him when I'm given things taken away. But I will bless him when I have and I have not. I have learned to be content in all things, whether I have it abound or I don't have it abound. I will bless him at all times. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, that's his response. His wife has a different one. After Job's health is attacked and he has boils break out all across his body after he has to scrape them basically with a pan to get off of his body. This horrible thing has happened. His wife says to him in Job chapter number 2 verse 9, his wife said, does thou still maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, thou speakest as the foolish woman speaketh. What shall we then receive at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil? And this Job did not sin with his lips. Now, this is what I've learned with just dealing with people in the short time that I've dealt with people. It is very easy in this story. It is very easy to have a negative viewpoint of Job's wife. It's natural almost to say, well, I mean, look what she said. Look at the words that came out of her mouth. Let me tell you something right here in the middle of this sermon and really the direction that I'll go for the next several moments. What, what comes out of her mouth is very simple. It's called pain. And pain makes you and me do things and say things that we would not normally say and do. If you've ever been in any type of physical pain, you know what the reality is, and I've been in some physical pain before, not to the extent of some, but, but I have some. It makes you not feel like yourself. And I've learned that in the midst of pain, we have a choice of our response. And I love the fact that on one hand, you've got Job blessing. And on one hand, you've got his wife 
cursing. And here's why I love that. Because it paints a great picture and it gives a great contrast and it lays it side by side for humanity. You will either do this in pain. You will either bow down in worship or bow up against. When you're in pain... You will either bow down in worship and surrender or you will bow up against the plan and the purpose and the things that God is actually at work in. You will do either one. It is a picture. You will fall on either side of the fence, whether you worship or whether you curse, whether you bless or whether you curse. I want to be somebody that blesses God at all times. I want blessings to flow from my mouth. I want life to flow from my mouth. I don't want to speak death over a situation that's headed towards death. I don't want to speak death over something that might be dying. No, sir. No, ma'am. I want to speak life and blessing and hope and purpose and mission and speak it. I want to speak blessing. I was praying about this sermon. I was praying about this message yesterday or, or Friday. I was praying and the Lord just dropped this in my spirit. And, he, and, and in this moment, I felt like sharing this. You need to treat your trial like a trial. You need to treat the trial you're in like a trial that you're in. Are you with me? You need to treat it like a trial. If God is the judge and there is a prosecutor or there is an accuser on the other side of the bench, he's sitting over there. And if you're over here with your case and your life and your thing, you know, I don't know if you've ever watched Judge Judy. But there's, there's some people They did not learn manners. And let me tell you something. Their words and their posture is greatly affecting the outcome of that trial. And they don't even know it. How they're responding and reacting, how they're sitting there all hunched over, whatever they're doing. Their, their position, their posture... Their words, what they're doing, it's affecting what the outcome is going to be. So here's what, I, here's what I would propose. Here's what I would say. If you're in the middle of a trial or one day you're going to be in the middle of a trial, you need to position yourself like you're in a trial, in a court, in a case that's going on. And you need to look at the judge. You need to ignore that prosecutor. Look at the judge right there. And you need to position yourself just right. Make sure your words are just right. Give your case over to God. Present your problem over to him. And then tell him what his word says about your problem. Why don't you treat it like a trial is actually a trial. And you say, God, your word said. Judge, your word said that if I do this, you promise me this. Your word said that if I stand on this, you're going to come through in this way. And I don't care what he says. I heard what Mark, I heard, I'm going to give credit to him because he said it. I, I, I watched one time where Mark Morgan was in a service and he talked about this, this dynamic between, between Satan and God. And he said in this, this is how he phrased it. He said, Satan never showed up to Job and told him what he was going to do. 
You don't read that in the story. He never shows up to Job and says, well, I'm going to kill all your livestock, and I'm going I'm to take your kids. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. He never tells Job what he's doing. Not one time. Never says it. All he does is come before the Lord and ask permission to do things, and then he goes and does them. So the only things he can do are the things he's given permission to do. So let me tell you this. If the accuser is whispering in your ear and telling you what's going to happen and telling you this is going to happen or that's going to happen or this is going to be a problem or that's going to be a problem, if the accuser is speaking to you, well, you need to realize something. If he's saying it, he probably doesn't have permission to do it. So you ought to not even address it and say, God, I stand on what you've promised me. I will not give over to fear or worry, but I stand on what you've said, judge. I stand on what you've said, God. I trust in you. So the story of Job goes, and there is this back and forth with people that have been called Job's comforters. Now, if you know the story of Job, they were not comforters. The things they said to him, and we don't have time in this service to dig into all of them, but the things they said to him, they're not his comforter. If anybody ever calls you Job's comforter, it is not a compliment. It's not. And maybe a time to evaluate yourself. But there is a response in the middle of this back and forth between all these friends that Job has. And there's a response that happens in Job chapter number 23 that's really the emphasis of, of today. And this is what it says in Job 23. Job answering and saying, he said unto them, even today my complaint is bitter, Job 23 and 2. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I might, though that I knew where, I might find him. Hisses. This is, this is the thing I hope every person in this room has this prayer before they leave. When you are in the middle of a trial or you are in the middle of something difficult that you would ask this question, oh, that I might know where I could find him. Oh, that I might know where he is, that I might even come to his seat, that I would come to him. See, it's a question that everybody asks at some point in their life and the pain you're in and the hurt you're in and the situation, the thing that you're in, everybody ask it. Where is God? We ask it, all of us do. Where is God in this? Where is God at in the middle of my pain, in the middle of my trial, in the middle of this circumstance? If you're not asking it today, you will ask it at some point. The most righteous man said, where is God. Verse 4, I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer 
me and understand what he would say to me. Job is saying, I would have a word or two with God if I got a chance to. If I could find him, I would have a word with him. I would tell him about what's going on. If he would, if he would just give me the opportunity, I would sit before him and he would answer me and my questions that I have. Verse number 6, Job asked himself a question. Would he plead against me in his power? He's got all power and he's allowed this to happen. Would he plead against me in his power? But ladies and gentlemen, the second part of that verse. Oh, the second part of that verse. It speaks to us today. No, he wouldn't plead against me in his power. But I'll tell you what he would do. He would put strength in me. I'll tell you what he will do. He would put strength in me. It may not change around me, but ladies and gentlemen, he still might change me. It may not change around, but he could give me the very thing that I need, and that is his strength. Verse 7, there the righteous might dispute with him so that I should be delivered ever from my judge. Now watch verse 8. Behold, I go forward, and he's not there. I go backward, but I can't perceive him. See, Job, he tried to look forward. God's not there. He tried to look backwards. God's not there. He looked on his left hand, verse 9, where he doth work, but I can't behold him. And he hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. And then verse number 10 changes the entire narrative of the story. He couldn't see God when he looked forward, and he couldn't see God when he looked backwards. And when he tried to feel God, feel after God in his left hand, he couldn't find him. And when he tried to look and find God on his right hand, he couldn't find him. But then verse 10 happens, and he has a perspective change. And instead, he looks up, and he says this. He says, but he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job looked forward, he looked backward, he looked left, he looked right. But Isaiah knew it a long time ago when he said, in the year the king Uzziah died, I looked high, he, the Lord was high and lifted up. So if Job would have stopped looking forward to his future or backwards to his past or right hand or left hand and he would have just looked up and that's what he did. He said, he knoweth the way that I take. You know why he knows? Because he sits high above and he sees everything around and the Lord knows the way. You want to know the reality is? Here's the answer to the question. Here's what I came to preach for just a few moments and then I'll be out of the way and we'll worship God together. Where is God? Well, the answer might not be what you think it is. Where is God? He never changes. Come on, I know some of you have been asking the question, where is God in all of this? Where is God right now? Where is God in this culture? Where is God in my pain? But I came to preach to you that God never changes. He's never left. He's never gone somewhere else. He's never abandoned. God never changes. I have a, a three-year-old. And uh, it's fun. 
I love playing hide and seek with things that are really important to me. When I didn't want to play hide and seek. You know, some of you guys, you live in this really predictable world where if you set your car keys right there, your car keys are going to stay there. I hope you love that life. I hope you love it. You ought to thank God for it. Because there are days that I want to get in my car and be on time to something. But God said no. God and Lucas said no, sir. Not on my watch, you're not. But we have this thing that we do. And uh, it's, you know, there, again, there are, there are going to be, I, I joke about that. There's going to be phases of my kids' upbringing that I really do miss. I will. I promise. I'm in confessing. I'll miss it. There's some things I'm not. But there are going to be phases that I miss. And this is one of them. At nighttime, we have a routine that we do, and we read books. We sit in a rocking chair, we read books, and we have a nightlight off the side, and we read these stories, and the kid loves David and Goliath. We read the story of David and Goliath probably four times a week. Uh, I've got it memorized. I know who wins, in case you guys don't know. He loves it, and we read it all the time. And so when we get done with the stories, we close the book, we set them off on the shelf, we have a nightlight and we double tap the nightlight. That's how you turn it off. You double tap it. And it goes and it shuts down and the room gets completely dark. It is lit up by this one little small light and it gets completely dark. And every night, without fail, Lucas does the same thing. He says, oh no, I can't see. Without fail, it happens every time. Oh no, I can't see. And it's really cute. It's really cute. He says, oh, no, I can't see. And I hold him, wrap my arms around him, squeeze him in his little blanket, and I say, I got you. And he looks back at me. I guess he's looking at me. It's dark. I can't really see. And he says, you got me? And I say, I got you, bud. I got you. I just wish... I know that's a cute story. I just wish some of you believed it about your circumstance and what you're in the middle of right now. I wish you could see it the same way that I see it over that little baby's life. I wish you could see it from God's perspective. I wish some of you would know that God limits the borders of the sea. Job found out that he's the one that sends lightning and numbers the clouds, helps the hunting lion and waters the flowers and feeds the raven and hardens the dust. And if you think God can do all of that and he doesn't know where you are, he knows exactly where you are. So I came to preach to you. You don't have to ask the question, where is God? You need to know he never changes. He never changes. Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, thou searched me and know me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all of my ways. 
For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Some of you need to know God's hand is on you. That's so good. In the words of Pastor Gaddy, I'm going to say it again. Some of you need to know God's hand is on you. Some of you need to walk around with the revelation that the hand of Almighty God rests on you. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Verse 6, it's high and I cannot attain to it. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend, you are there. If it happens and I go higher, if promotion and blessing come, he's there. But watch, if I make my bed in Sheol, if I'm the one that fails and makes the mistake and causes by my decision and error and choice, if I descend because of my own ways, guess what? You're asking where God is? Well, here's the answer. He never changes. He's not moving. He's not going away. Where is God? He never changes. God is for you. God is with you. God wants to show himself strong on your behalf. Now, there was something very remarkable that happened last week, and there was this opportunity at the front when Pastor preached such a special anointed word for our time last week. What an out-of-control world needs is a supernatural church. If you haven't, if you weren't here and you need to, you need to go back on YouTube and you need to check out the sermon and be enriched and challenged. And at the end of that, he offered this opportunity for anybody that wants to come forward and wants to be used of God and, and wants God to flow and work through them. And there were people that came down and there were people that did not come down. And I prayed about that this week. And maybe I'm taking a little more liberty than what I normally would. But I prayed about that this week for everybody. For everybody that either came down or you stayed for whatever the dynamic was. Whatever the thought process was. I'm not casting stones. I'm not angling at anybody. I don't have a single person in mind. I'm telling you that in the honest to God truth. But this is what I prayed. And this is what I feel like the Lord directed me with. It's one thing to not want God to use you. That's your decision. But it's another thing to believe that God won't use you. That's the enemy's deception. It's your decision to believe, I don't really want to be used. But if you think God won't use you, that's the enemy's deception on your life. You need to cast that off. Remove that out of the way and say, if I ascend, he is there. If I descend and make my bed in Sheol, he is there. You need to determine in your life, I want God to flow through me because he is near me. He is near. Here's what the Bible says. God is our refuge and strength. Psalm 46 and 1. You ready? A very present help. He's present. 
Not absent, he's present. Psalm 34 and 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Isaiah 57 and 15, for thus says the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in high and holy places with him who is also of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart and the contrite one. Psalm 124 and 1, if it had not been for the Lord, who was where? And he's not changed. He's not changed. It's not any different now. It's not any different because of where you're at. He's not changed. Where is God? He's never changed. So the Bible says this. There's, you know, we preach about, we preach about all the time, and I'm guilty of it. We preach about the things that God can do. All the time. We did it. We, I mean, there were, there were references to it in this service. God can do anything. God can move in any way. Do you know, there are actually, there are actually things God won't do. There are things God can't do. We're gonna, we, we promote and preach anything. God can do anything. Would you actually know? There are some things, according to the word of God, he can't do. He can't do them. Here's what he can't do. He cannot ever lie. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He can't do that. His mercy can never end because it's everlasting. He can never be defeated. He never breaks a promise. He can't do it. That's his word. He can't break it. He never makes a mistake. His ways are perfect. You know what the Bible says? He won't leave us or forsake us. There are some things God can't do. And you need to wrap around those and say, God, every time I look for you and every time I search for you, I understand you never change. It's not in his nature to change. He can't change. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you're unchanging, that the world may change, but you'll never change. We worship you in this place, Jesus. You call him Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. You call him Jehovah Rapha, the Lord heals. You call him Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. You call him Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord sanctifies. You call him Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is our peace. You call him Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. But did you also know he's Jehovah Shama? which means the Lord is here or the Lord is there. Meaning in Ezekiel 48 through 35, it was around about the 18,000 measures measuring the city of God. And the name of that city from that day shall be the Lord is there. He has a dwelling place and he will not leave his dwelling place. You need to understand it may change around you, but he never changes. He never changes. I don't know. I do not know why. I cannot begin to fathom. I can't completely comprehend because I've not been there. 
John, I've not been there to stand at my brother's funeral. I don't know what that feeling, the emotion in the moment is like. Daryl, I don't know what it's like to be in that type of pain of, of, of the surgery that you've had and the, the, the long ongoing history. I don't, I don't know what that's like for the Nickel and, and the, the Shirley family, the others that have stood by hospital beds and the others that have stood over caskets. I don't know the, the full extent of all the pain and all the hurt and all the things that you've been through and the change that's happened in your life because of the pain that's come into it. But I just have a very simple and clear word. When you were in that pain, God was there. When you were standing by that casket, God was right there. When you were standing in that hospital room, the Lord Jehovah Shammah had entered into that place already. When you're in the midst of your darkest hour or you make your bed in Sheol, there he is. And you're going to ask, where is God? The, the answer is, he never changes. Come on, would you lift your hands? Could you stand to your feet and lift your hands with me? Come on, lift your voice with me in the sanctuary. Come on, lift up. Lift up your pain to him. Bless God in the middle of this. You're the same, God. Yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. You never change. The only time Job is mentioned in the New Testament. And I'm going to read this verse, and this is what I feel. It's what I feel. If you have pain right now, your body, your spirit, your mind, your heart, unanswered questions. It could be a frustrating season. It could be in the middle of despair. We're going to open this altar up for people that want to come and, and discover Jehovah Shammah for a moment. Him being in the midst of where you are. His unchanging nature. But let me read this verse. It's the only verse in the New Testament of Job. I know pastors preached on it before. Such a great word. Behold, we count them that which endure. We count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. You know the story of Job? You know all that he went through? You know the patience of Job. How he stood in the midst of all of that. But that verse continues. You have heard of the patience of Job? And then there's this phrase that if you ever read the Bible like me, it just kind of jumps out. And you've seen the end of the Lord. That's, that's strange because we don't think God, we think God is never ending. But there's a different perspective or vantage point. You've heard of the patience of Job and you've seen the end of the Lord. You want to know what the end of God is? You want to know what the full summation of God is? It's the next few words. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Meaning, He's full of compassion and He's full of mercy. Pitiful is not the negative sense. It is he is full of 
pity towards you. He's full of that compassion and that nature. His kindness has not stopped or failed. His compassions have not ceased. The very end of God, all we could say about Him is that He's compassionate. And He's full of mercy. And ladies and gentlemen, if that's the end of God, then we know He's never changed. So I invite, if you have pain in your life, this moment is for you. If you have pain in your spirit, in your body, in your soul, if you have pain, this moment is for you. These altars are open. There could be healings that transform lives right now. There could be ministering that takes place in this moment. I believe that there will be some that meet Jehovah Shammah for the first time. That the Lord is here. And where you stand, there He is. Come on, I know you've stood by that. I know you've stood in the midst of unthinkable. But guess what? God was there. And the end of the Lord is that He's full of mercy. His compassion faileth not. Come on, Mom and Dad, I know. I know. Come on, grandparent, come on. With a sickness, with a struggle, with pain. Come on, I know you've been asking, where is God? But you need to know He never changes. He never changes.